0: So let's say, let's dance, let's say, let's say, let's dance, let's say, let's dance let's 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 say, let's let I am Stephanie, and I am so excited to be back for another episode with you guys to talk about more dance history. So this week, we're going to be diving right in and talking about modern ballet. So there are a lot of very big names in modern ballet that really change the scope of ballet and what we consider ballet um, and really tried to make ballet more than just the place for fairy tales to be told. They really commented on society and um, talked more about what what was going on in the world during the time um, and how that relates to the people of the countries they're from and making ballet more of a, a place for expression rather than just storytelling. So I am super excited to share this information with you guys. All right, so a lot of information I'm going to be sharing with you guys comes from the book Ballet and Modern Dance, A Concise History by Jack Anderson, and specifically most of the content for today is from Balletic Astonishments, uh, one of the chapters within the book. All right, so one of the first names that I want to start with is Diaghilev. So Diaghilev was the creator and director of the Ballet Rus. Um So he he started his work more in the classical ballet era, but really really thrived during the modern ballet era, as he's credited with making classical ballet a modern art. So, um, he didn't really dance much himself, which I found super interesting when I read that. You can be a famous name in the ballet world that I'm studying through dance history, but you haven't danced yourself. Um, so it's kind of an interesting tidbit for you guys, but his role is really around getting patrons of the arts and finding funding for the arts and really getting people to um, understand the arts and why they are important in society. So... Um, He also very much was always going with the trends and this really does lead to why, why he was so popular and is known as such a big name in ballet today. So really overall, Diaghilev was, like I said, he wasn't the dancer, he wasn't a choreographer or a composer. He was really just the intelligence. He had a lot of willpower and great taste. So that's what made him popular. Um and he was also very imaginative in his work. Um, He was the one that also introduced Russian ballet to Western Europe, so it really, really connected um, ballet, and I think without him, we probably wouldn't have the combination ballet that we find today, and all the different styles, and how we're very accepting of what ballet is. Um, I think that's, very much to credit to Diaghilev. So, while Diaghilev was trying to find this perfect blend of choreography, dancing, music, and also uh, stage decoration, he had one choreographer that stood out above all, and this was his first master choreographer, and this is Fokine. So, he took the idea of ballets that we were seeing during the classical era, where they were very long, lengthy ballets um, that to extent, kind of seem random at times because they were so long, they weren't really just getting to the point. So um, a folking ballet is going to be very compact. Um, and that's what he's kind of known for is the one S ballet and really unifying work. So it doesn't, doesn't feel like it's random. So I really appreciate this because I feel like sometimes you can get um, what you need to say in in a short amount of time, and it's anything more effective than taking the amount of time and dragging it on. And I feel like this also captures a different audience than what was likely captured during the classical era because people that aren't super into ballet don't want to sit through a long ballet. I remember I took a trip to New York City with my family, and me and my step sister grew up dancing, so we, of course, wanted to go see uh, New York City Ballet and American Ballet Theater. Uh, I don't remember specifically which one we saw, but uh, we went to see Romeo and Juliet. And during the whole second act, because it was a very long ballet, like three or four acts, um, but my dad fell asleep. He's like, yeah, I don't, I don't know much of the second act, uh that's the perfect example of why a compact ballet makes a lot more sense for this uh, modernization of ballet because it's really drawing in different crowds rather than the upper class that feels like they need to enjoy ballet to be high class so um but along with this work Fokin kept his ballets um he explored the area of abstract and plotless ballets to kind of prove that ballet can exist without a plot and that we don't always need this fairy tale happy ending to have a ballet. So along with all of this, one of the big shows to mention of Fokine's work is Firebird. So Firebird is very much so not a fairy tale Um and it's really about this women empowerment of the Firebird. Um, one great example of how it's not just about the straight love is that the main plot de of the show takes place between the prince and the Firebird, not the prince and his love. So uh, it really, it really shows that ballet, ballet was starting to mean more than just the fairy tale, just happiness. Um, and, there's so much more to ballet than these simplistic stories that were being shown on stage for years before this. So, very exciting the work that Folkine pushed for uh, the modernization of ballet. All right, so another big name that I want to share with you guys is Nijinsky. So, Nijinsky's work, one way to describe it, is straight up controversial. He has a lot of pieces that that were exactly that they were controversial that the general public did not know what to think about this um so he is a very well-known dancer and really pushed for next level choreography and pushed the realms in ballet choreography um really with some curves and different angles and being turned in his work can be described as very architectural um so One of his main pieces that I feel like really describes the work and really describes the modern ballet era as a whole is The Rite of Spring. So The Rite of Spring, uh, music, dancing, all very controversial, so controversial that at the time the audiences rioted because uh, they were just so taken aback by what they were seeing on stage and what they were hearing um, which is, well, I had to think, what what now would it take for an audience to riot and start fighting the way that they did after Rite of Spring or during Rite of Spring? Um, so, Rite of Spring is kind of a little freaky. Um, it shows the idea that we're all primitive. When you watch it, um, you see a very tribal scenario uh, taking place on stage, and it um, it shows a lot of movement that wouldn't necessarily be considered ballet movement, now I don't think. So, that's kind of a, a debate that exists with this piece, as is it ballet, which it is modern ballet, um, but is it modern ballet or is it modern so my stance on this personally is I do think it's ballet because that that was the intention it it was a ballet but it's definitely the start of modern dance Um, and yeah it was it's for me to find find new movement and really push what is ballet and I think naturally that's going to lend itself to more modern with the not much as worry on the turnout and uh, different arm positioning. So, I don't know. it's definitely could go either way on that debate, but I think it is ballet just because of the intention more behind it, but I, I totally see the other side on that. All right. Another name worth mentioning is Najimska. So, this is actually Najinsky's sister. So, Got a very talented family there. Uh, It'd be interesting to hear what their parents think of all of their work that they produce, considering uh, Nijinsky's controversial um, repertoire. Um, And then Nijinska, she honestly taught a lot of famous dancers, and that is a big claim to her fame. Uh, She was not as, as out there as her brother but she did still uh, push the boundaries a little bit and uh, pushed into modern ballet. That is why she is a big name of this era. So uh, one big piece that she choreographed was Les Noches. So this is about a peasant marriage and really touches on the subject of women feeling trapped in society. So this is a huge thing for this time as... As I mentioned at the beginning, though, were very much about the fairy tale and the hopeless woman falls in love with the beautiful prince and we we all know the stories. Um, so she really took this into the hands of a woman because she was a very powerful woman during the time. I mean, this is a whole list of men that I've listed before now and she is a woman choreographer. Um. So she took this into our hands and really showed that women are powerful and what's happening to women during this time period. So a lot of social commentary going on there, and I think it's awesome that she could do that during this time and have that voice during the early 20th century for women. All right, one last thing I want to mention before we wrap up for this week is the lovely Anna Pavlova. So, I I always heard about Anna Pavlova and her dying swan piece that she is so famous for. I'll put a link to that um, in the description of this episode so you guys can take to YouTube and watch that so you know what I'm talking about. Um, but that's, that's really all I knew of her it was she, she did a great dying swan. Um, but I didn't know that she really wasn't known for being the best dancer out there. She was just an outstanding performer and this uh, really showed in her work. um, And I think that's really evident in The Dying Swan. That's a perfect example of it, of her great performances. That is a very intense role to play. Um, So props to her. (laughs) Um, How her work was very focused on the individual and being individualistic um she also inspired many young dancers to dance which that's one of the reasons I have a big appreciation for her because I feel like that that's something so important when you are such a well-known name um really in any area whether that's sports or other art forms but um in dance every little girl wants to be a ballerina so when they have someone like her that is um really a driven person and wanting to inspire these young dancers. It's super cool to know that that was happening back in the early 20th century. Um, she also, in contrasting her to the other artists, had a very conservative music taste, so she really wasn't worried about uh, kind of stressing everyone out or causing riots like Nijinsky did during of Spring. Um, she really was focused on the performance aspect of ballet and push for this so I'm excited to keep learning about Anna Pavlova and I'll probably take out a little more research myself past this because um, I've just kind of found a lot of interest in her especially like I said since she is such a big name but we don't really know much more about her rather than um, her dying swan so super cool. Alright, that is all I have for you guys this week. Thank you so much for sticking around and listening. I know there were a lot of names in this section, but I think it's just super important to hear all the differences between these names um, and really what they did because we always we always hear about Diaghilev, Nijinsky, Fokin, Anna Pavlova. They're all common names, but I feel like we don't know much more beyond the surface level. So I hope you guys got a lot out of this episode um because i know i did so have a great week and i will talk dance with you some more next week bye